0: Hey everyone before we start i wanted to let you know if you would like to watch our whole service head to our website that's dc2.me and from the media drop down click sermons you can watch our whole service there and now here's this week's sermon uh, i'm one of the pastors here at discovery i've been on staff for a long time and i'm excited you're here uh whether you're with us in person online checking us out midweek And to reiterate what that guy said on the video earlier, uh, if I don't know you, I would love to meet you after service. I think that one of the best things about the local church is the community. It's seeing friends. It's seeing people on a Sunday that you recognize. And I would love to be one of those familiar faces for you. Last week, our lead pastor introduced this series we're in called Minding the Gap. This gap is the gap between what we experience with God and what we believe about God. For example, you might believe God loves you. You may know that God loves you, but in your day-to-day, you don't always experience that love of God. And it creates these questions, creates these doubts. Uh, You may believe that God is present in your life. Uh, You may believe that God is with you, But in your day-to-day, you don't always experience God with you. Or the third one, as a Christian, I thought I would be further along today than I am. Uh, There are questions that maybe I asked 10, 15, 20 years ago, and some of them keep popping up again today. Why am I not further along? Uh, And part of this gap comes when we open the Bible, and you see these people in here, these heroes of faith, these people who know exactly what they're talking about, exactly what they're doing. And when I compare myself to them, I often feel like I fall far, far short. So if that's you in any of these areas, this gap of believing God loves you, but not experiencing it, believing God is present, but not experiencing it, or feeling like you should be further along, this series is for you. And today, if you're with us, either in person or online, and you don't know anything about God, you've heard about Jesus, you've heard about all this, but you don't know it all, this is a great series to jump into. It's a great series to find out what is true um, versus what do people just say. So I want to give a little context about what I've personally experienced in church uh, that has, for me, helped widen this gap and actually made it difficult to connect with God at times. My first church experiences were in a Catholic church. And before I go any further, I have no problem with a Catholic church. Um, I have family that go to a Catholic church and love it. Uh, My problem was that when I attended, I didn't know very much about God. I heard about this God that felt very distant. I would hear about him the few times I went, and the priest would say things like, approach the Father, or may Almighty God have mercy on us, Forgive us our sins and bring us to everlasting life to which the audience would respond. And everyone seemed like they had the answer that I didn't. Uh, And there's nothing I'm sharing today, again, that has any negativity or their practices, but in my few times attending, I walked away with a view of God who was mighty, sovereign, and omniscient. Or in other words, God was strong, he was in charge, and he was watching and he knew it all. I just didn't know what to do with it. I didn't walk away wondering if God was real. I I believed he was real. I just didn't know what that approach looked like. I I didn't know how I could personally bridge that gap between this almighty father in heaven and me on earth. Fast forward a few years, and I started attending a non-denominational church, and these people took God very differently. In fact, some of the language they used is some language that we occasionally use here at Discovery. Uh, Instead of talking about God like this distant father, they would say things like, God spoke to to me this morning, and I want to share what he told me. Or talk to God like you're talking to your best friend. Or accept Christ today, and you'll be in relationship with him. Uh, After a few months of this, I walked away with a very different view of God. God was personal. He was close. And he wanted to be in every area of my life. In other words, I could reach out and touch him, He cared about me as an individual and there was nothing I couldn't bring to him and this was a powerful reframe for me except it too had some issues. Specifically, I couldn't always reach out and touch God. I didn't feel like God was always right there with me. I didn't feel like God always spoke to me and with that, pastor on stage said, I want to tell you what God said to me this morning. I thought, wow, that's great. I don't know why God didn't say anything to me this morning. There's this gap. It caused me to ask the question, what does that person have that I'm missing? Uh, Because I'm missing something. Sometimes I felt close. Sometimes there was this chasm, and I didn't know what to do about it. I believed that God cared about me as an individual, I had experienced God caring about me as an individual. But I didn't always see that evidence in my day-to-day. My life didn't get markedly easy when I became a Christian. In fact, in some ways, it actually got harder. Uh, And talking to God like you're talking to a best friend is great. In fact, it's how I pray today. Uh, I pray a very casual way with God who I've built a relationship with. The problem with that best friend is sometimes when I would pray to him, uh, he wouldn't talk back which can feel like an odd relationship. I was at a Bible college five years ago speaking at a chapel, um, and spoiler alert for what I'm about to say, I was not asked to come back after I preached the sermon at their chapel. They asked me to speak on doubt and deconstruction, and I was so excited. It's like my favorite topic, doubt and deconstruction. So I get on stage, there's 200 Bible college students, and what you have to understand about this college is this Bible college believed that if you went to Bible college and you didn't end up at a church or in ministry, they had failed. So of their 200 students in this chapel, their goal was that 200 of them would end up in local churches, wouldn't end up in nonprofits. They did not wanna see these people graduate and not use their degree. So these were like the cream of the crop. These were the students who knew what they were talking about. These were the students who were gonna go on to be pastors. And I get on stage, and I'm preaching, and I'm about halfway through my message, and I say, hey, I wanna try something. I asked the person in the back, I'm like, hey, can you lower the lights? And they lower the lights. And I say, hey, I want everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes and don't look around. It's really important. And I said to all of you Bible college students who know what you're talking about, you have a great faith. Have any of you ever prayed and wondered for a second, gosh, I wonder if I'm just talking to myself. I wonder if there's actually somebody on the other end. If you have... Raise your hand, and nobody's looking around, nobody will know. And it was so silent you could hear a pin drop, and I could see the professors in the back terrified of where I was going with this. And then over here on the left, these two students raise their hands. And then two students raise their hands. Then 10, 20, 30, 50. Eventually it's 95% of the room raising their hand. So I asked them to lower their hands, turn the lights back up, And they said, wow, what do you do with that? Because there's nothing wrong with that. But oftentimes in church, it can feel like that's not something we're allowed to talk about. That sometimes the God who says he loves me can just feel so distant, it feels like I'm talking to myself. Again, I was not invited back, and I don't expect to be invited back in the future. Welcome to Discovery Church. I'm hoping you didn't want an easy or fluffy message this morning because it's, it's not easy. That's not how we're starting. Um, how do you mind the gap as a Christian when you don't always feel loved by God? Despite what you've been taught, despite what you expect, and despite what you've heard. By the way, if you can solve this one, it's a game changer. This right here, actually, in my opinion, is one of the backgrounds to almost every question I've ever been asked as a pastor. Uh, I've been a pastor for 12 years, and I think that this question of what do I do when I believe God loves me, but I don't always experience it, is actually the background to almost every question I've ever been asked. Uh, there are questions that many of you have asked. Things like, hey Jake, why do bad things happen to good people? Or, hey Jake, I get that sometimes people die, it happens. But why kids? Like, why do kids die? I can't rationalize that with a loving God. Or, hey Jake, I've been praying for years about X, and God still seems silent. What do I do? Hey Jake, how do I know if I'm doing what God wants? Because I keep asking and I'm not getting answers. Has anyone here ever asked a question like that? Because I have. In other words, if God is all-powerful and all-loving, why does bad stuff keep happening, especially to people who don't deserve it? If God wants a relationship with me, why can it feel so tough to connect with him? And if God loves me, how do I get him to respond? As we move into this series talking about the gap, our sermons again are, I believe God loves me, but I don't always experience it. I believe God is present, but I don't always feel him near me. Or I feel like I should be further along by now. And over the next few weeks, as you're listening to the sermons, I want you to start thinking about any questions you have about God. Anything you think about your relationship with God. Any questions you have about theology. Questions about your faith. And then ask yourself if any of them fall into these subcategories. Because as I look at my life, most of my questions... My doubts and my concerns fall under one of these three. Um, And yes, the pastor on stage just said, my doubts. Uh, And we're gonna be talking about that in depth at the end of October. I'm pretty excited for that series. Last week, Steve mentioned three traps that we fall into that widen the gap. I'm gonna throw them up on the screen. Uh, And these traps were the expectation trap. This is wanting or needing something from God that either he never promised or may not happen in the way and time frame we want. Uh, The false belief trap, holding on to a belief that isn't true and taints our view of God. Uh, This can be as simple as some of the phrases that you may just say by rote in church, like, um, if I had enough faith, I wouldn't experience these moments of distance, or maybe if I just try harder, this will be easier. These are false beliefs. And then the external formation trap, which we won't talk about much today, but it's where we begin to deconstruct things that we think about God that God never said. It it creates weird theologies. And all of these have similarities. And we're going to go into at least the first two with a couple of people from the Bible that at first glance seem like they have it all figured out. But as we dive in deeper, uh, you realize just how insidious this gap can be. The first one, we're going to talk about the expectation trap. And we're going to talk about a guy named Abraham. So Abraham, quick synopsis. You meet Abraham in Genesis 12 and goes all the way to about Genesis 21. And Abraham has this deep, close relationship with God. Abraham starts out and he is not Jewish. God calls him and says, hey, I want you to be one of my people. And I want you to have a child. And eventually your offspring will be like the sands on the shore. Your offspring will spread everywhere. At first glance, I look at Abraham's life, and it looks like, wow, God and Abraham, they were like best friends. It's like every time Abraham sneezed, God says, I bless you. In fact, if I start in Genesis 12 and go to Genesis 21, there are nine separate times that God speaks audibly and either promises, course corrects, or changes the life of Abraham. Or... On topics, there are also multiple supernatural miracles, not the least of which is taking a person who's advanced in age, it's the Bible's phrasing, not mine, who has experienced infertility and giving them a child. And not even a child, but a child who will literally change the world, like offspring, like sands on the beach. If I take this all at face value, it has the potential to create in me the experience that when I hear people talk about talking to God like it's a best friend... They seem like they have what Abraham has. And I feel like I'm missing something. Maybe this gap between believing God loves me and experiencing it is actually a me issue when I take it at face value. But let's take it a little further. Uh, I have some slides I'm gonna throw up on the screen that are all gonna look the same, except with some coloring. uh, And I'm gonna talk through them a little bit. Uh, So here's the first one up here. Uh, I did a little homework for you. By the way, my belief about church, you should not take anything I say as true. You should feel free to research any of this that you like. Um, Starting in Genesis 12, God speaks. And we see these times where God speaks to Abraham, where Abraham calls upon the Lord without a response, where Abraham's wish is fulfilled. He has a child, and then God's last time speaking to Abraham. And again, at first glance, we have nine times and 12 verses, 12 chapters, feels amazing. But when we unpack it a little more, we see something pretty interesting. Let's go to the next one. These places in red are the places where God speaks to Abraham audibly. This first time at the top is when God felt, when Abraham felt God speaking to him and he was 75 years old. In that time, he was also given a promise by God. Despite your advanced age, I will give you a son and future offspring. Fast forward from there until Genesis 15 right there where Abraham, who is tired of waiting, God, you made a promise to me. You said that a son was coming. It's not coming. I have a plan. Genesis 15, Abraham sleeps with his wife's slave, Hagar, and has a child. There's an 11 year gap between this. God says, that's not what I promised you. Fast forward 14 more years, and God finally fulfills this promise of a son to Abraham. Takes 25 years. After this moment, God speaks two to three more times. Let's do the next one. These areas in green are areas where Abraham speaks to God and God doesn't respond. Abraham builds altars, he calls upon the name of the Lord, he shows his worship, and God isn't always responding. Uh, And the final one is just a little bit of math like we love on a Sunday morning. Section one. Section one, God speaks three times in 11 years. Three times in 11 years, Abraham hears from God Section two is that little blue line right there that I added. It says 13-year gap, where we have no recorded time where God is speaking to Abraham. Section three, God speaks to Abraham three times within a year. This is the green. And then this purple at the bottom, section four, God speaks two to three more times in somewhere between a 15 and 35-year period. We don't know the exact amount of time here. This is a story, if you're familiar, where God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And this happens sometime between Isaac was 15 and 35. We don't know exact age. When I read scripture, it feels like God's fingerprints are all over Abraham's life. When I look at it, line by line, I see a God who spoke to his follower. I see a God who loved his son. I see a God who intervened in the life of Abraham nine or 10 times over about a 40 to 60 year period. It's very different than what I see when I just read straight through. Now, I don't believe this is an all-inclusive account of God's relationship with Abraham, but I do believe it points to something important. The author of Genesis took great pains to point out God's promises, his fulfillment of said promises, and his relationship with Abraham. And as I look at the numbers, I see times where God was directly present throughout. Times where God, Abraham worshiped God, but was stuck waiting on a promise. And times when Abraham and his wife had to laugh at the absurdity of what they believed their God wanted for them and not seeing it happen. Abraham, one of the fathers of the faith, Was used to waiting on God. He was used to living with an expectation of God that didn't seem like it was being fulfilled. And he was used to times of silence when he worshiped and called out to God, possibly without a response. In our lives, when we live with an expectation of God that doesn't line up with what God promises or has shown, it widens this gap. Abraham lived with years with a promise that seemed ridiculous on the surface. And I can just imagine God promising Abraham, you are gonna have a son. And I can imagine Abraham's response was, does does that mean now? No, okay. Does that mean soon? No. Does that mean eventually then? What what does that mean? God's promise uh, took 25 years to come through. How often do we feel like we've been promised something by God, told something by God, offered something by God, and despite your faith, despite your struggle, you don't see it happen? How hard can it be to believe God loves you when you don't always experience that love? The second trap we fall into is the trap of false belief. False belief, once again, is when we have beliefs we put on God based on what we believe we've heard or what we think about God. This is deadly because oftentimes, similar to the last one, it creates a situation where we have an expectation that may not come true. Uh, My favorite one for this is a guy named Elijah. Uh, And Elijah did some phenomenal things. He has this great story where he um, is in the nation of Israel and there are these prophets of Baal, prophets of another God. And Elijah says, hey, I want you to take 450 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of Asherah. And I want us to go on the top of a mountain and do what I'm going to call a God off. That's not in the Bible. That's what I call it. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to pray. We're going to take some bowls, We're going to put them up on a pyre and you are going to pray to your God. And if your God lights that pyre on fire, then your God's better than mine. But if my God does it, then my God is better. So here's Elijah up against 900 total prophets and they go first. And they are screaming, they are cutting themselves, they are shouting, they are excited, they are calling out to their God for hours with no response. You can go further into reading this, it's, it's pretty funny because Elijah actually starts trash talking them, which is wonderful, that's absolutely in the Bible. After hours, nothing happens. So I picture these 900 prophets, cuts all over their body, horse from shouting, and then you have Elijah. I picture this meek little man coming up, and he says, hey, the, the wood is too dry. Let's get some buckets of water, and let's dump it all over it. That's not enough water. Let's do it again. That's not enough water. Let's do it again. They dump water three times until water is literally running off. Elijah looks up, and he says, hey, God, This is our time. God brings fire on the mountain, incinerates the bowls. Everyone shouts and cheers because the God of Israel is the God in control. They round up these prophets of Baal. They're put to death. And Elijah has this literal, like, mountaintop moment where he saw the glory of God. He saw the power of God. He's celebrating. Things are good. And then he gets a message. Jezebel, the woman who's kind of running this whole thing, says, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of the prophets of Baal. In other words, within the next 24 hours, you will be dead. And Elijah has this experience. He says, Hey, God, I did what you asked. Hey, God, I did some amazing things. And now this woman wants to kill me. What's going to happen? There's no God. So Elijah runs. He runs, he begs for death. He wants it to be over. The God who he thought loved him feels like he abandoned him. Elijah goes and finds himself on a mountain. The word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put the prophets to death with the sword and I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me too. And so these natural disasters come. This giant wind comes and Elijah looks for God in the wind and God isn't in the wind. And this earthquake comes and God looks for God in the earthquake and he's not in the earthquake. This fire comes across the mountain, and Elijah looks for God in the fire. He's not there. And then this gentle whisper comes. And Elijah hears God in the whisper. Go to 1 Kings 19 14. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, they've torn down your altars, they've put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. In other words, there's an underlying, hey God, I did the job. I did what I was supposed to do. I've been the good person. I followed the orders and now this is what you have for me. You say you love me and now I'm just left hanging to dry. God, what the heck? God, I'm all you've got. So you should take care of me. God's response is, Funny, I picture it as a sarcastic response. Verse 19, 15 through 17. The Lord heard him and said, hey, go back the way you came to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphrat, from Abba Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. I picture Elijah like pouring out his heart. And God says, hey, that's great. Here's your next list of tasks. Then verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah, you think you are alone. You've painted a picture that I am distant and I have so much more going on than you have any idea. Elijah, I love what you're doing. And you are special. I know that you've done and how you love and have worked for me, but it's not all on you. There's more that you don't see. Elijah is this view of God. The God who calls me will protect me. The God who calls me needs me for this. And God says there's more than that. My story, I feel like, in a lot of ways, is similar to Elijah. I had this experience about five or six years ago, really on this source of expectation and false belief. Uh, It's not a story I share very often, but about six or seven years ago, uh, I went through what I can only describe as a mental health crisis. Um, I fell apart completely. I was on staff here at Discovery, um, and like some of you in the audience who have ever struggled with mental health, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I knew how to smile and show up on a Sunday morning and kind of keep things together and then go home and fall apart, which was great for some of the people I ministered to and terrible for my family. I knew how to attend a meeting and then go to my office and fall apart. I would hit a point where I would get a phone call or a text message or a Facebook notification, and I would have a panic attack out of nowhere. So on the advice of some people, I went and saw a counselor who deferred me to a psychiatrist. I met with them with my wife, and we met for a couple of weeks, and the psychiatrist said, hey, I have some good news. I said, great, what is it? He goes, well, I think you probably have a chemical imbalance that is treatable by medication, and you'll probably be on this medication for the rest of your life. And I said that doesn't sound like good news at all. Like, that sounds terrible. And the next day I met with my bosses. I met with Steve Cuss and Randy Larson, two people I worked for. And almost verbatim, this is what I said. It shouldn't be this way. I've done the work. I've put in the time. I've done the right things. I was not rebellious. I have been a pastor Um, I have not done anything wrong. In fact, I've done everything right. This is not how it should be. God should not do this. I should get a pass. To which my bosses wisely um, sat and said nothing because how do you respond to that? And afterwards I said, listen, I know that's not biblical. I know all about Paul and the thorn in his side, Peter dying. I know all about the story of Elijah I know all about John the Baptist who died while Jesus was alive. I know how it is, and I know what this world's like, but if I were in charge, I would do it differently. Imagine a pastor saying they would do it differently than God. Um, I would call that heresy, but I know I'm not the only person in this room who's ever thought that. I know I'm not the only person who's thought it, it should be different. If God is as close as he can be a best friend, if I I can speak to him like a friend, it, it should be different. God, there's a gap between what I think and what you think about me. What I think you promised me and what I think you said you'd do for me and what I'm experiencing, and right now this gap is too large for me to know what to do with. Here's what I learn as I read through scripture. I look at Abraham. And Abraham's really funny to look at, especially in comparison to his wife, because Abraham sat faithfully for 25 years. Abraham heard the promise from God, and he worshiped God, and he followed God. He listened to God, he heard from God. He did the right things. He just sat and waited And God fulfilled that promise, he showed his love. Uh, His wife uh, feels a little more like how I would have responded. When God finally came and said, hey, you'll have a baby within a year, she laughed at God. Um, And God still fulfilled that promise. I love the symbolism of Elijah. I love that things go so well He's on the run. He's in almost this manic state. He gets this mountain. Everything is blowing up. Things are crazy. And then he hears God in the quiet. And he hears the God who says, hey, I I love you. I've been here this entire time. Uh, It often makes me think about, uh, and I don't have anything up here for it, uh, my grandma had this poem in her house that some of you may have or may know of. It's you know, Footprints in the Sand. Uh, it's the concept that in the hardest times where we can't see what's going on, um, God carries us whether we know it or not. Uh, I'm still learning how to look for that God who carries me. Uh, and I'm still looking at how to see him in the moment rather than looking back in the past and seeing where he's been all along. Steve mentioned this last week, but this concept of sitting and waiting and listening for God is so much harder for an American, Um, which is nothing political. It's no statement about our country. Uh, We just live in a place where we go, go, go. Uh, We do, do, do. You're always chasing the next thing You're chasing the next thing for your kids. You're chasing the next promotion. You're chasing the next house. You're moving. You have your checklist. Even on your days off, there's so much to do. There's everything I see in scripture just seems to say if you're looking for the love of God, how much are you sitting and waiting? How much are you sitting and listening? How do you minimize that gap by doing better at recognizing when God is with us. I'm gonna call the band out, and as they come out, uh, I have homework for you all. Uh, For some of you, that homework instantly turns into a checklist. When do I do this? How do I get it done? This is the American culture, the Western culture. Uh, And it doesn't work that way. In fact, I'll make it even worse with this homework. You may do this homework and still not see results. See what I've experienced is when I wanna experience the love of God, I have to sit and listen. And I have to sit without an expectation of hearing. So my challenge to you this week is to take time this week to talk to God about what you need. Talk to God about what's going on and then sit with no agenda and wait with no promise that it's gonna change. Now, for some of you, um, you may be a little like me, you know, ADHD all over the place. And the idea of sitting in silence and waiting is not something you ever learned, and that sounds terrible. Because when I sit, and I sit quietly, what happens is the voice in my head just keeps going, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, what's going on with this? Your phone just buzzed. On our property over here on the corner, we have a labyrinth, which is my favorite thing. Now, the labyrinth has all of these turns. And on the way into the labyrinth, your goal is to let go and release. And every time you take a new turn, you pause and you think about what you're giving up to God. When you get to the center, use this as a time of worship and declaration of the goodness of God. And on the outer journey, you take that time to focus on who God is and you pause and you wait And your goal isn't to get through as fast as you can. Now that labyrinth is on our property, but it's actually not a mystical experience. This is something that can be done anywhere. If you're a person who says, hey, I love the idea of sit and wait, I can't do it. Where can you move and pause and listen to God? I really wish that there was like a silver bolt that I could give. If you do this, you will experience the love of God. If you do this, you will feel the presence of God. If you do this, the gap will shrink. And all I know is sit, wait, and watch what God does over the course of your life. It worked for Abraham. It eventually worked for Elijah. Uh, and I'm hoping it works for all of us. I'd love to pray with us. Hey, God, it's Jake. Jake. still approach you like a friend. God, my prayer for this room is that we would become adept at slowing down. That we would become adept at listening for you more than talking. And God, that we would be adept at seeing where you're at work and loving us today and not having to look back and see where you were. God, thank you for this opportunity and thank you for this people. Amen.